Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. I'd rather have grouse. If you put me in a house, how would much prefer a flat? If you put me in a flat, then I'd rather have a house. Set me on a mouse, then I only want to ride. Set me on a rat, then I'd rather chase a mouse. The Rock Dog Tiger is a curious cat. And there isn't any cool for me to shout. All right, who wouldn't have fun, huh? Come on now. It's cats, people. Come on. That's Jason Derulo as Rum Tum Tugger. Uh, the new movie Cats is in the movie theaters. We went to see it here on the nose. I'll tell you who we is in just a second, or who we are. Uh, and, um, well, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll start with it, actually, and then a little bit later, because it's the end of the year. So I thought just we'd just go around the table, find out... Uh, what people really will remember about this year, you know, what did they really like and stuff like that. Uh, towards the end, we'll have some very specific endorsements about stuff that's specific to this moment, and that'll be the show, and then we'll all go home. Uh, so uh, let's get to that we part, too. Susan Bigelow is a librarian columnist for CT News Junkie and a science fiction fantasy novelist. Jacques Lamar is a playwright and director of client services at Buzz Engine. And Bill Usman is a professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. So, yeah, we did go to see Cats. Uh, and I think before we get in, before we plunge into the garbage can and start rooting around for turkey legs with the other cats, I mean, I think maybe it's also worth noting, um, Jacques, I'll start with you, mm-hmm. that like hating on this movie has turned into almost a separate thing, right? Like it's a sort of red badge of courage that you went to it and now you get to say that you wanted to stab your eyeballs with knitting needles and gouge out your eardrums. And and like this has sort of turned into sort of a thing that's almost detached from the actual content. Yeah, which uh, having seen the movie is really baffling to me. Um, You know, I went in – I mean – I was instantly enamored of it when I saw the trailer that everybody hated. And I was like, I'm I'm not exactly sure why everyone hates this so much. I mean, it was the CGI cats, um, which, you know, when you do it in the X-Men, everyone thinks it's a, it looks cool. When you do it in cats, it's horrible. But, you know, I went in after the reviews came out thinking, oh, this is going to be the new Showgirls, that it's going to be so transcendently horrible that it, that it's amazing. Elizabeth and, Berkeley, we still love you. Yes, we do. We do, uh, particularly because of of, uh, of Showgirls. But um, it's it's not the movie that the critics are saying that it is. And and so, you know, my I went with a friend who she and I love horrible movies, and she came out and she's like, "That really wasn't that bad." <laughs> and, and variety, yeah. <laughs> Well, no. I mean, the thing is, you expected it to be a train wreck, and it's it's not Starlight Express, right? So, yeah. And Susan, actually, to Jacques' point, 
because I was a little weirded out by the trailer. And, you know, usually trailers kind of mislead you in the other direction. You know, they make you think you're going to like the movie way more than you're going to like it. This movie actually is considerably less upsetting. I mean, in fact, the stuff that's upsetting about the trailer, you habituate to it within three minutes of starting to watch the movie. The trailer is not a good way to prepare yourself for the movie. But like Jacques, I thought the trailer was great. Mm. As soon as I saw the trailer, I thought, this is awesome. I can't wait to see this movie. It looks like someone's made a movie just for me. Um, <laughs> that might be the case. <laughs> and yes. And as it, as it turned out, I was the only person in my theater. So it's true. Um, but no, I thought the trailer was great. I, don't, I didn't understand why people didn't like it. I, it must have been the CGI. It must have been. But I thought it was... Decent, but you couldn't do the '80s, you know, leg warmer cat makeup stage, you know, stage look for for the cat. So I think that the way that they handled it is the best the best that you could in 2019. Right. I, I think before we even get into that, though, one last thing from Bill. I mean, Bill, I think is part of like the stuff that you teach. When we use culture a lot of different ways. We use it kind of the way we're supposed to use it. We watch a movie. We listen to music. We are either moved or exhilarated or whatever or, or not. But we also use it in a much more kind of norm-setting sense, right? There's sort of a way in which we use culture to define, you know, friends and enemies and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that is true. And, you know, when Jonathan emailed me to, to ask if I would go see this, I feel like he was really defining that I am now officially one of his enemies. Right. And well, I, Carolyn Payne got a restraining order, so we had to call you. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm always happy to, you know, break glass, call you, Spin. I, I do want to point out that a few weeks ago, The Nose got to talk about one of Martin Scorsese's great achievements, and then we got cats. <laughs> so they, they see that as a win, Bill. I would like to have a conversation with some who, you know, who didn't may- they have creepy CGI and and yes, and yes. the Irishman. Yes. And I and so what of, makes that great. A lot of people were not were very put off by that. I didn't particularly I thought, you know, I, I was I for me, it was like the same as just heavy makeup. I didn't really see it as De Niro as a Siamese just doesn't work for me. But right. I mean, there's lots of reasons yeah. for that. <laughs> I, I do think you're right, though, that hating cats and this is actually I, I didn't hate it. I for, I thoroughly expected to hate it because of everything that was happening in the cultural soup that that surrounded it. So I think it's possible or actually I really believe strongly that my expectations were so low that it was almost impossible for it to be as bad as I expected it to be. So there were some things I liked about it. I don't think it's the worst movie I ever saw but I do think it's become a thing to try to come up with as many anti-cats jokes as you can think of, and they are really easy to do, that that has become, and in some ways I'm more interested actually in why people hate it so much than in the film itself, which I just thought was just kind of disposable. Mm. Well, so let's talk about why people like it first, then we can talk about why people hate it too. So Susan, mm. you you were, you know, it was everything you hoped for. It honestly was. Yeah. Um, I, when I saw the trailer, I saw the, the sets, the dancing, the CGI. I liked the CGI. I thought, I thought it was good. Um, just It was great because it's cats going around making poses. I think a lot of this comes from the fact that I was a musical theater kid. Um, so this sort of stuff really speaks to me in a lot of ways. I just absolutely love it. Um, I love movies that... Even if, they, even if they're not really all that connected and they don't make a lot of sense, if they've got singing and dancing and it's good and it, it looks visually interesting, I'll go for it. Um, I, I liked 
I, I like the music so much. I listened to the music obsessively when I was a kid. I, li- I went to see this show. My mother would take us down to New York. We'd go to see a Broadway show. So I saw this show. I had the tapes. I played them out. Um, I had Cat's T-shirts. Uh, the you know, ones that all black said cats on them. They had little eyes. I, I just wore those around a lot. So I was already obsessed with the music. I loved the show. And I thought that this was very, very true to the source, uh, both both the poems and um, – which is the original thing that, that Cats the Musical comes from, T.S. Eliot poems, but also to the musical itself. I thought that, that it was pretty true to that and I liked it because of it. I, before I get to Jacques on this too, I want to just say that one of the most interesting emails that I received this year was right after we had the conversation. We had a conversation on the nose about the creepy trailer um, that Susan didn't find creepy. But um, – and after that, I got the – I started what has proved to be a very fruitful correspondence with a guy named Ed. And Ed used to be on submarines. And um, if you're underwater for a really long time in your submarine, you start running out of things to talk to. And you can screen movies and stuff like that. And you sort of think, you know, Navy guys. Well, they, among other things, got into a very long conversation about how you would make a a movie out of cats. Which is not really what you think about military people talking about. Uh, it turned out like everything that I ever thought about what pe- military people talk about is wrong. For example, they were really into the movie Pitch Perfect and they were coming into port somewhere in Europe and Pitch Perfect 2 was being shown and they got there a day late and they thought they'd missed it. But like the base people had held it for them somehow so they could see Pitch Perfect 2. Again, not what you think. Um, but anyway, I think Ed's theory had been that you have to introduce a new cat in there and the new cat has to sort of figure out what's going on here. And, and Jacques, it turns out that Ed is correct that that's one of the sort of plot drivers to the extent that we can identify a plot. I think there's a plot. It's just not a very interesting plot. But part of the plot is there's a new cat. Yeah, and I, I thought she was completely charming. Um, was it Francesca Hayward? Is that her name? Yes. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's Victoria. Victoria. Although apparently cats have three names, so that's only one of them. <laughs> and um, – uh, the the movie does make a case for um, for feral cats. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert: It starts with a cat in a bag being thrown into it, an alley. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's horrible. Oh, but now she gets to be in dance numbers, so it's okay. Right. Um, you know, it it's interesting. the The, the musical, uh, you know, when you go back to was it 1982 or 83 when it premiered on Broadway, Frank Rich hated on it, hated mm-hmm. on it, and it proved to be bulletproof. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the the stuff where the, the movie gets most wobbly to me is not the bizarre inner logic of the quote-unquote story or plot. Um, it's when they try, try to beat it into some movie tropes um, with McCavity and uh, being this villain and whatnot. Played by but, Idris Elba. Yes. Um, to me, the the thing there's, uh, with the possible exception of Rebel Wilson, who I just don't in general like. I think her shtick of being, uh, you know, pratfall uh, actor um, wears thin after a while. Um, but well, they really clearly haven't watched the Pitch Perfect movies. <laughs> no, no, and she's a big reason why I haven't. But. Um, all the perform, you know, the performances are really good. The design of the film is really good. I understand. I know you have a concern about um, the amount of dance in the movie, um, but I think you know. Uh, I don't want to. I don't really want to damn it with faint praise because I uh, 
worked in a box office in the theater one summer with a, with a woman who played Cats nonstop. And I was like, please, please just turn it off. And then when they broadcast the stage version on PBS a number of years ago, I couldn't sit through it. But I – other than being a little overly long, I actually enjoyed the movie. And um, to me, I, I think other than, than cutting it a little bit, uh, I think that um, – that you just kind of give over, give yourself over to this little weird universe that they've created. I wish they they had um, reorchestrated some of the music. It sounds terribly dated, but right. other than that, I I would I would tell someone to go see it. I meant to say by the way, I was talking before Submarine Ed. If you're out there, our number is eight 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 seven two zero WNPR eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. I don't even know if you've seen the movie yet, but. So, Bill, I, so I think we're sort of, you know, I think we're in a very similar place. You know, I mean, for me, the movie wasn't a plus one or a minus one. It was kind of a zero. I mean, I didn't really mind it that much. I didn't really enjoy it that much. I was, you know, relatively happy when it was over. Um, but I didn't, you know, wasn't really troubled by it in any way. But, you know, one thing we all try to do, I think, people who are on the nose anyway, is meet art on its own terms. Right. Right? You can't get mad at Cats because it's not Hamilton. Right? Um, you have to sort of figure out. But one of the things that I struggle with, and I saw the original Broadway version back when Betty Buckley and Ken Page and people like that were still in it, is, and I had the same problem then. I don't know what this is. Like I don't know how to meet it on its own terms because I – it's these kind of late verse T.S. Eliot poems over which this very vague bit of kind of mythology has been laid and there's this kind of ascension motif and – but I don't really know and I, I'm not a big Lloyd Webber fan. That's my – I guess maybe that's on me. But you know, there's this sort of that struggle. It's like how – did you have that? Like how do I meet this thing on its terms? Yeah, I did. I mean I think it's – it, it came into existence because they tried to make a musical out of the wasteland and it just – that just wasn't – it just wasn't clicking no, but, for but, them. But Proof Rock as a jukebox mu- musical was fabulous. Uh, you I mean, would have to have lots of giant peaches on yeah. the stage. But and then Ragged people Claus. would think they were at a rolled doll right. thing. Ragged um, Claws scuttling across the ocean floor. Well, they sort of had, they that, had that with the cats, little yeah. cockroaches and lobsters and stuff. I, I agree with you and I, and I was thinking that I'm not sure it knows who its audience is. So there weren't very many people in the theater, no, no surprise. I also love to go to early morning movies to try to avoid people. Um, but some, a, a family came in with some pretty little kids and I was thinking, oh, yeah, no, just because it's got like people crawling around acting like cats, kids are not going to enjoy this, I don't think. And I can't imagine them actually sitting through the whole thing. One thing that I found really interesting is – so yeah, I didn't I didn't loathe it the way I thought I was going to. I, I did kind of end up in the same place you were, which was just kind of like, yeah, OK. That was two hours. Um, my wife, who has a BFA in musical theater and who has seen the stage production four times, hated it more than I did, hmm. which I – thought was kind of interesting and some of her critique of it was about that she just didn't think it came across as a good musical. It didn't have – I don't want to steal your thing, Colin, but I think you, you have a real critique about the dancing in it. My wife reacted to the same the same way to that. She didn't like some of the musical performances 
by some of the people in it. Um, they added some things to it that were not in the original stage play that she just didn't think made any sense. So I thought it was interesting that you would have thought she would have been more prone to liking it than I was, but it was actually just the opposite. Yeah, well, I'll just quickly say my thing, which is that, um, like, I love dancing movies. Uh, I love it, like, but when I say that, I'm talking about West Side Story. I'm talking about Top Hat. I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about movies where you singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Yeah, I mean, where you really sit there and watch people dance. And it seems to me we've this is not just the problem of cats. It's a general problem. We've moved into a time where movie makers, for the most part, and there are exceptions like Hairspray, but um, movie makers don't think we would just sit there and watch people dance. You know that if people are dancing, they better do some other stuff here. I mean, although there's a lot of dancing in this movie, Susan, I sort of felt like. The camera was never really on a dance sequence. From like, there's one guy who's a terrific dancer, and since I don't remember cat names very well, I don't remember his name. But he's the guy who dances out across the railroad uh, bridge. That would Trussell. be Skimble Shanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so good. You're the railway cat. The railway cat. I, I yes. don't know how I could have forgotten that. But you know, and he's a really good dancer. And the tap dancer. But I think he's actually an Australian ballet dancer. That guy in real life. But anyway, he was terrific. But they kind of that was the closest I. Th- saw them come to, let's really put the camera on the dancing and let it happen. But even so, it had this kind of ADHD quality, even that one a little bit. Like, we're yeah. not going to really watch it for three minutes or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got to, like, zoom around and look at other stuff and change angles. And, you know, and there's a, a joy to dance in the theater, obviously. You're just looking at it because what else are you going to look at? But when they start moving the cameras around too much, I feel like they lose what dance really can be. Yeah. That was an issue with the movie. It had trouble getting beyond some of the film tropes that – then sort of the modern movie-making tropes that exist. Um, like what, what Jacques said about the um, about the, the sort of frame of the story that they tried to put in, which was this sort of kind of serviceable, okay story about a young cat gets abandoned, meets a bunch of other cats, solves a mystery, defeats a villain, and joins the bunch. That's this sort of thing which is grafted onto it doesn't work entirely. Um, and the same thing is true where – they, they feel like they have to keep moving the camera so much. Uh, it, it was all right when they kind of let things play out and let the spectacle happen. I think Cats is really good when it's a giant spectacle where it's just stuff happening. Um, but I, would, I do wish – I completely agree. I do wish that we'd been able to linger a little bit longer on what some of the people were doing because I actually did enjoy a lot of the dance sequences. Um, but I felt like maybe there could have been a bit more. Chuck, any other thoughts here? Well, I think many thoughts, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think this is one of the unfortunate um, side effects of music video culture is that you, you know, uh, whereas you could do a, you know, uh, a shot that would just feature Fred Astaire on a stage, mm. and you know, it wouldn't need to be spliced and sliced and whatnot. And that's one of the things that I think harmed the film version of Vita uh, is that it was like a series of music videos. Mm. And um, and I, and when you think about it, Andrew Lloyd Webber's track in terms of, track record in terms of uh, movie musicals, he he gets them made, but they are um, rarely good. And so I was actually thinking, like in terms of Phantom of the Opera, Evita, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Cats, Cats may be in my mind the best of the lot in terms of on film. Hmm. 
Hmm. I would go with JC Superstar. I would too. Uh, but I don't like dirty hippies. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you probably wouldn't enjoy it very yes. much. Then would you? you probably, Half the public right. radio you audience could, used to be. <laughs> yeah, Birkenstocks yeah. wearing. All of them now. There goes Jesus Christ Superstar a, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're really uh, glad this isn't a pledge week because <laughs> we just <laughs> unwashed Yvonne Element in the desert <laughs> <laughs> does not do it for me. <laughs> My wife also agrees with you about all of that. By the way, you two oh. would love each other. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, back to music videos for a second. Um, I will say, say what you want about the Jackson family. Both Michael and Janet, you know, they really sort of got the idea that you could watch dancing as a take. Thriller? Right? Mm-hmm. You know, that well, extended thriller video? Or I was thinking of Smooth Criminal where he you know, does mm-hmm. kind yeah. of that stereotype thing. But almost all of Janet's early videos too, they were just long takes of the dancing mm-hmm. without a lot of that intercutting and fancy angles yeah. and stuff like that. And when I think of you, it's all one shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think there are a few little cleverly hidden cutaways, but it's all one shot. And it's, it's very much like an MGM musical. So, I mean, y- there was a way to do it. Uh, and then it just had to be, you know. Anyway, um, I don't know if there's anything else anybody else wants to say. We have to leave quite a bit of time since we're going to sum up the entire year uh, in, in, in the next segment. I would say one question that I have is, will – I mean, Cats Have Nine Lives. I, I think this movie might have multiple lives. I think there's another iteration going on right now where people are they, – they either want to be part of the whole business of hating it because they've heard about how much fun that is. I wouldn't be surprised also if some segment of the upcoming audience – ingests or smokes some kind of substance <laughs> that, you like, know. You know, I, it's interesting, though. My friends who have gone to see it and gone on Facebook have expressed genuine surprise that it's not it's, – it, I don't want to damn it with faint praise, but surprise that they enjoyed it. And it's the inverse in some ways of The Rise of Skywalker where mm-hmm. people – have these mountainous expectations and they want it so desperately to be good. And they're either disappointed or they're satisfied. I'm not sure that uh, how many people are in love with the movie. I haven't seen it yet. But um, I kind of like the the undercat feeling. <laughs> it's, it's hard to call Cats uh, an underdog at a $100 million budget. But I kind of feel like it was, you know, that the knives were out before uh, before it, snuck into the theater and it just didn't have a chance. I think it's going to be more of a cult film. Yeah. I think that we'll, it'll, it'll probably have like a Criterion Collection release in 15 years or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be the kind of thing that a bunch of people who are nerdy about this kind of thing are really going to like and they're going to watch it over and over again. And it's just not going to hit the rest of the pub- public at all. Well, for now, we're going to end this segment with the lead single from the Cats soundtrack, which is also Taylor Swift's new single, Woohoo Jacques. Uh, <laughs> and the song is currently nominated for a Golden Globe. I love this song. If you dare to I wouldn't know to lead you Should I take chances When no one took chances on me So I watch from the dark Wait for my life to start With no beauty in my memory All that I wanted 
Listen, Jesus, I don't like what I see. All I ask is that you listen to me. How can you not like that? All right. Um, they added that horrible song. Can we start again, please? Uh, all right. Well, we're all we done with. Stop again. Andrew, please. there's no more Andrew Lloyd Webber on this. And there's no crying in baseball. There's no Andrew Lloyd Webber on the rest of this show. Uh, we are going to talk about sort of the year because this is the last news of the year. We all watch and read and listen to a lot of different things. It's also the end of the decade, but I just, that's too. Too big. I can't do that. Um, but uh, so I asked uh, the panelists, you know, what are you going to remember? What what lit you up this year? What do you feel sort of is the thing that or the things that really tincture the year for you? So, Jacques, you've got like a handwritten list. I do. And I list. never do that. I, I totally know. went straight papoulis on this one. But I was so <laughs> worried I'd, I'd forget something. But I don't have a papoulian through line. Right. So. All of her notes are in the Beinecke Library now, too. All of her, all of her notes <laughs> the, for the nose. The papoulian papers. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I don't know where, where you want to start. Um, well, I mean, I might. I'm do sort we want to go thematically here? Well, we, we talk about movies. Uh, okay. And I, I'll just, while you get warmed up, I'll say this is kind of an interesting year because I think this is sort of a, I, I think there's five consensus movies and then there's everything else that everybody individually liked. But let me see if I can roll through them. Uh, Once Upon a, a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Parasite, uh, a Marriage Story and Us. I feel like those are like – you look at people's 10 best lists. You're going to find most of those and they're going to be in the top mm. five. But then there's sort of everything else that anybody else cared about. And I'm guessing not many of the ones that actually, <laughs> I just named meant anything to you at all. Me? Yeah. No. Uh, uh, actually, Us was on my list. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I – you know, late day Quentin Tarantino – some he needs an editor so bad, but I mean I loved the the audacity of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, but it's just too long, and that's the way I felt about uh, Hateful Eight and Django Unchained. Um, so I'm I'm uh, skipping ahead to an endorsement. I'm endorsing uh, Quentin Tarantino to get an editor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I picked. Uh, Three, well, four movies for uh, for the year that I particularly liked, um, and I kind of lumped us in with Midsummer mm-hmm. uh, in terms of I I just really love this kind of uh, smart, interesting take on horror uh, and and uh, scares and um, and I'm obsessed with cults, so Midsummer was was uh, particularly exciting for me, but. Uh, I really liked both of those movies. The other two that um, that I picked were The Lighthouse. Uh, which I thought Willem Dafoe was absolutely brilliant in and um, and a role that he should get the Oscar for. But I, I don't know if, it, if the film will really be remembered. But I thought the movie was beautifully shot and it was very tense and and fantastic and weird. And anyway, uh, and then the last one is The Farewell uh, with Aquafina, who I think also deserves an Oscar nomination. I'm trying, now I'm trying to decide because I know where Jacques lives, how much the Manchester Parkade played into all of this because it's <laughs> such a great place to go see a movie and I think they've had the lighthouse for a while out there. Uh, I don't know. Is it still there? I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 saw, I saw it at, at the other theater yeah. because you know I, I love the Parkade cinema. However, they don't butter their popcorn and that really bothers me. <laughs> Bring your own butter. Yeah. Uh, Just too much uh, Walk work. in there with a yeah, stick of butter. Too much work. Yeah. Yes. The, um, <laughs> I will say that I, I like when the idea that I came up with this uh, this year uh, and I talked to David Edelstein about it on our conversation – 
was that there should be a category of like the movie that you didn't go see that's sort of an affirmative accomplishment. And for me, like today, for example, I did not go to see The Lighthouse. You know, I also did not go to see The Lighthouse yesterday. That's like the movie that I'm sort of like I really have made a decision every day that I'm not going to go. Uh, you know what I'm, I'm struggling with right now yeah. is the fact that I can go, quote unquote, to see The Irishman or The Two Popes. And they're they're like in my house, but I don't want to see them right now. I'd rather go see them in the movie theater. Well, we should talk a little bit about that because I, I do think there's a couple of things that has have changed this year. But I want to sort of take everybody else's temperature sure. here because we, we can sort of shift back around to it because I think it's really important. So, uh, so uh, Bill, how about you? What's on uh, what's on your list movie wise? So, um, us and Parasite did end up on my list. I loved both of them. One film that is a much um, smaller, much more quiet movie that did end up on a lot of these lists but kind of further down. Like it ended up on the list of the people who were doing like the top 25 or the top 30. But I really, really enjoyed was uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's just, um, it's just a film about a couple of friends. Like trying to survive in a overly gentrified city, and what what's that what what's that like? But I I think it's a really beautiful and really moving, um, smaller kind of movie. I would go with you on that. Yeah. Uh, we we did watch that for the nose too. And then probably um, the next one I would put on there is not a new movie by any stretch of the imagination, but a a, a rediscovery in a new experience. I saw the seventy millimeter cut of two thousand and one at Cine Studio. And uh, seeing it a little bit older than when I had seen it the first time, seeing it in that environment, that was also just a really powerful experience for me. Jacques did not see that because they don't have popcorn there or butter to put on the no, popcorn. No, no. Um, Susan, how about you? All right. So I'm going to take a completely different tack than everyone else. Uh, I'm glad that you've seen movies that meant something and were sort of higher art than, than what I saw. <laughs> um, but for me, this was the year of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Say what you will about those movies. They were absolutely inescapable. And some of them I thought were actually pretty good. Uh, it was starting off with Captain Marvel in March. Uh, from You go the, from there to, uh, to Endgame, which was this just amazing, huge, bonkers spectacle. And then you get Spider-Man Far From Home, which was a little bit – which was like a coda to all of that, which is actually pretty good. Uh, so if you're someone like me who is just – over the last year or so, just absolutely inhaled all of these superhero movies. I've now seen all 22 or 23, 24, however many Marvel movies. I've seen some of, I've seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV. I have action figures and things. Um, I just, I feel like it's, it's like this wonderful sort of nerdy thing that so many people can get into. Uh, are they, are they good movies? Well, they, they do the job, I think. Uh, they're fun to watch. They're interesting. Uh, the characters are people, characters that people like. Uh, there's a lot of really good actors in them. Um, but I think most of all, they just absolutely dominated cultures, rivaling even Star Wars for just things that are huge in our culture. You can't really talk about 2019 without talking about the MCU. You just made me think about something. Did Into the Spider-Verse come out uh, this past year? I think it did, right? It came out in 2018. Oh, but, it did. Okay. But this is actually the year that I discovered that movie, yeah. which again, that was phenomenal. It's probably the best superhero movie I've ever seen. Yes. I mean, if you have never seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and there, you have reasons why you think you wouldn't like it, set, even if your name is Carolyn Payne, set those things aside. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because Did she not like it? Well, she just doesn't like any. She, first of all, she doesn't like anything, but she really hates uh, superhero uh, movies. I actually think that was probably one of the best movies of the decade. Yeah. Agreed. I, th I think 
think so, too. Yeah. R- really amazingly good. Um, could we just have a brief conversation, even if you haven't seen any of his movies this year? I, I feel like it's the year of Adam Driver, right? He's got oh, yeah. four movies mm-hmm. out. He also was on Broadway and Burn This uh, and with Kerry Russell. Uh, he walked off the cherry grove of fresh air uh, and created a public radio kerfuffle. Uh, I feel like, you know, unfortunately, he hosted Saturday Night Live in 2018. Otherwise, that would he would just have run the gamut uh, and done everything you can possibly do. And I don't know. You know, Bill, in a way, he seems to me like um, a star that is kind of specific to this time. It's hard to imagine, you know, Adam Driver being a movie star in some of the other yeah. eras of cinema. Yeah. he. I mean, look, this is just a personal opinion. I don't find him enjoyable to look at. Um, but he, he he's making it work for himself in a major way. I really, really hated him when him and his character both, you know how they kind of meld together in your mind when he first appeared on Girls. Um, but he has really kind of taken over. Um, I saw Marriage Story. I thought his performance was very good in it. I didn't totally love it. I didn't think it was as good as some people pumped it up to be. But um, I thought he did do a really amazing job in it. One of my favorite things from him was a couple years ago maybe um, actually was the film Patterson, which Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that many people saw. But about this bus driver, you know, who was – Trying to and write that's a Jim poetry. Jarmusch movie too. Yeah, right? it is. Because yeah. he was also in the Jim Jarmusch vampire movie this year, which we did not like very much. Uh, the dead, the dead don't, don't die. die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was kind of mad. Well, b- before before we go on about Adam Driver, uh, since uh, Bill did mention a mirror story, and because Adam might be listening, I know I sometimes listens to the show. We are going to play the clip. Um, so this is actually I'm uh, going to walk. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so so Adam, just walk away. Turn off the radio. Um, but there's this moment in Marriage Story where he's, you know, I mean, his marriage is pretty much gone and he's hanging around with his friends in, in New York and they're, it seems like maybe an after show party at a, you know, somewhere in the theater district or something. And, uh, and he gets up and does this song, which we will not play all of. Someone to hold you too close Someone to hurt you too deep Someone to sit in your chair To ruin your sleep That's true, but there's more than that Is that all you think there is to it? You have so many reasons for not being with someone, Robert But you have one good reason for being alone Come on, run to something Bobby, run to something Someone to need you too much Someone to know you too well Someone to pull you up short, to put you through hell. You see what you look for, you know? So he's actually doing the song from Company as it was done there where all the characters are kind of, Elaine Stritch and all these other characters are kind of jumping in and telling the character Bobby, giving him little bits of advice. This is obviously, you know, one of Sondheim's songs about the incredible difficulty of intimacy. It's actually the third final song that he wrote for Company. Hal Prince threw out the first two. Uh, And finally he came up with this. Um, And, you know, I mean, Adam Driver's not a great singer, but shock, sometimes being great means kind of letting something hang out in a different way or getting a song across in a certain way. And I thought he did something with this. Yeah. I mean, he, um, uh, you know, I was, I was, A, he can, he can carry a tune. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the, the movie yet, but, uh, I mean, this is one of the things 
about uh, great musical theater is that you act it. Mm. And it was in, uh, I'd love to see it in context. So I'm going to have to watch, uh, watch that story. But I was bothered that you called it the year of Adam Driver because it's really the year of Ariana Grande. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't – I think it's the year of Billie Eilish. But we can, we'll have that argument in a couple oh, of seconds here. I wanna, are out. I want to hear whether <laughs> Susan is uh, an Adam Driver yes or an Adam Driver no. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean – yeah, you're I, dealing with him a lot in the Star Wars context. I, I am mostly. Yeah. That's that's where I'm dealing with him. I I just don't find him interesting. Mm. Um, I, I actually thought he was interesting as Kylo Ren. I did in sort of a, I don't know, almost like a creepy kind of way. I thought he was kind of interesting as Kylo Ren, but I just I just don't I don't get into him very much. Um, yeah, he just he's forgettable for me. Uh, so I really don't pick up on him a lot when he's even when he's in other things. I'm like, oh, I guess that's Adam Driver. Okay, so yes, he's everywhere, but no, uh, I don't know if that really means a big deal. All right, Jacques, what else have you got on your list over there besides uh, Ariana Grande? Ariana Grande. Um, uh, should we talk about TV? Uh, happy to. Okay, um, I'm going to uh, uh, say one of the things that Bill uh, discarded off of his list, I believe, because of just room was uh, Mind Hunter. On uh, on Netflix, um, yeah. I think it's a really smart. Really liked it. Uh, it it's on and, my list too. And before you go, well, I'll do it. Let's play a little clip here. It's also it was the year of the Keanu Sans, the Keanu Reeves revival. It's also the year of Charles Manson, who's in at least three movies that I can think of. Although he doesn't really quite appear. He says he sort of appears in well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's also a movie out called Charlie Says that's sort of really about him. Uh, and then he's in Mindhunter here. Over the years, some members have blamed you for the murders, then changed their story. Others, quite famously, have protected you. You seem to have a hold on them, even from prison. But no matter what they say, you maintain the same story. Because my truth is simple, and your truth's complicated. Complicated how? Well, you don't see it, but the only truth is now. Now is the only thing that's real. Well, we're mainly interested in then. How you met, influenced, and indoctrinated the people who followed you. Indoctrinated? Come on, man. How did the family begin? Did you start with the girls? These people you call a family, they're just children that you didn't want. You threw them out like trash. So I picked them up off the side of the road and I said this, in love, there is no wrong. Love? That's what you taught your family? All right, uh, so that's Mindhunter. Um, I should say that the guy who plays... Uh, Jonathan, help me out with this. The guy who plays <laughs> Manson in Mindhunter is the guy you glimpse as Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Is that, do I have that right? Um, so uh, same guy. It's just like something he could do apparently. His name is Damon Harriman. Uh, so yeah, uh, want to say a little bit more about Mindhunter? I don't know. Bill, did you want to uh, chime in here? No, go ahead, Jack. I, I, mean, I also really, really loved it though. It's I, so creepy it's but creepy. in a good way. Um, I mean there's, there's, there's kind of different levels that are happening at any given time. There's – you know, they're going into cells with uh, really famous serial killers to try and sort of pick apart their motivations so that they can use the what what they learn uh, in tracking down other cases. So it's a bit like Silence of the Lambs uh, in that regard. So there's always like the case that they're pursuing. They're trying – they're interviewing these different serial killers. But also there's a lot of depth and complexity to their personal lives that shows yeah. uh, the, the damage that, that their career choice is inflicting on their home life. And this is kind of reflected uh, in the two male leads as well as the, the female lead. Um, 
It's just very smartly written and and uh, and I think it's paced very well. The, cr- and- the craft of it is just really, really fantastic. It embodies what we mean by that term quality television. Also, got much more socio-political this year. I, I like the second mm. season a lot more than the first season. And when they went to the, Atl- the Atlanta child murders, it became socio-political yeah. in a way that uh, I think really helped it a lot. Uh, so, but Susan, you get to, you get to switch tracks if you want to. And well, the, my favorite thing from TV this year was Chernobyl, um, mm. which was fantastic. Uh, HBO miniseries, uh, just so so well done, so absolutely gripping and awful and terrifying. Um, just the performances that the actors put in on that, um, and just how meaningful it actually seems to be, even for now, just how awful stuff can happen just because of lies that people get told over and over again. Um, just some of the scenes were just so gut-wrenching and hard to watch, like uh, the scenes where they have to go through the contaminated area, killing all the animals. Um, they're just awful stuff. But I really thought it was one of the most uh, intense, gripping things that I really have seen this, this year or for a while. One of the big events that we did not get to on the nose, for shame, for shame. Jared Harrison, anything, is usually pretty good too. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly, I want to circle back to Chernobyl. All right, I just, TV-wise, I just want to say something. I just want to nominate one tiny little thing. Shiv Roy's pants uh, on Succession. Um, I think her pants are really important. I mean, I love Succession. <laughs> Might have been the most spellbinding television for me, but I just want to just focus on the pants uh, right now and say, yes, yes. Um, uh, I, I tried to voice this. This has nothing to do with I the like, pants. I like I, that he raised his hand. <laughs> yes. I, well, I just wanted to, I want to make sure we don't shift off of TV before, because I tried to voice this on as a subject, and you guys simply were not buying it. But on Netflix, this documentary, Don't F with Cats, I can't say the title um, uh, as it's written, but. I think you got it across. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's so gripping and weird. It's a three-part documentary. Each part's an hour long. And uh, every time you think you know where it's headed, it changes. It is disturbing. Um, but my friends who are, are discussing and debating it on Facebook, some people can't get past the first episode because of scenes of really kind of uh, – they cut away, but animal animal cruelty. Uh, but – it becomes a very interesting, twisty uh, thing. So I highly recommend it. All right. Um, okay, so we only have about enough time for maybe uh, each of the remaining panelists just to quickly uh, mention one other thing that's kind of somewhere on, on their radar screen. Bill, why don't you go first? Uh, I'll just stick with TV for a minute because I think there's a couple other shows that have to be mentioned. Everybody already who listens to the nose already knows how much I love Watchmen. I keep bringing it up week after week after week. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, I thought the final season of Veep was really excellent and they pulled off something that was difficult to pull off. How do you do a political satire show in an age where, you know, reality has outdistanced that? And then I was really strange. It was strange for me to see when they see us, it didn't seem to appear on people's lists. Talk about a movie that was hard to watch. Similar, to, to, similar to Chernobyl. A yeah, hard thing to, absolutely. Hard I, had, important. I had to go back and make sure, like, am I wrong? It was 2019. Like, why has it just disappeared from people's memories? But I, I don't see how that didn't appear on the list of, of the best shows of on television. Right. Uh, so, no, I, I agree with you. But it may have been... I mean, there's a couple of things that have happened here. One of them is there's just so much product out everywhere that we don't all watch the same stuff anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, so people have these, like, very bespoke little choices. Um, so, Susan, how about you? I think we can't leave the year behind without talking about Old Town Road, Little Nas X. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of course, the song that was everywhere and the song that made a lot of country music fans really angry for reasons that they don't want to talk about. Um, and also, I just I just love the fact that there's there's more of this stuff out there, these sort of blendings of country music and hip hop, which sounds really cool. It's great. I'm, and I hope that we see much more of this stuff. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to bring up, the best book that I read this year um, is a book called How to Lose the Time War. Uh, it's by Amal Amotar and Max Gladstone. Um, science fiction book, really well, well loved in the science fiction community. Um, and it's about two agents on either side of a, a war that's being fought through time. And it's the letters that they send each other and the relationship that they develop. It's a phenomenal book. Um, and I suspect it's going to get tons of awards during awards season next year. So that's that was my big highlight was reading that book. I want to quickly shout out Forky, uh, voiced by Tony Hill, who's also on V. <laughs> Toy Story 4 was like a terrific movie. People thought they couldn't make a fourth Toy Story movie. It's a really, really great one. Um, I want to shout out two older novelists, Margaret Atwood and Jean Le Carré. They both had terrific books this year. People missed the Le Carré one, and it has so much to say about this particular moment. I would recommend it. And if you do audiobooks, do he actually read, does his own audiobooks, and he's amazing. All right, we've got to take a break. We'll come back with some other endorsements. All right. I've uh, got to say thank you to uh, the uh, person producing this episode. That's Jonathan McPants uh, and to our senior producer, Betsy Kaplan, who's running the board today, playing all these clips and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, thanks to them and to Josh Nalea for a great year that we've had here so far. But this is not our last show of the year anyway. So, um, And I should say we're going to be back on Monday with an all-call scramble. Well, first of all, I have to say tomorrow at noon, pardon me, our brand new product, our impeachment show uh, that runs every week, we'll have we'll drop a new episode. Uh, has uh, stuff about the way the impeachment has affected language, uh, has affected theology, uh, and some little bits of news story that maybe you didn't know about. So listen to that, and then Monday we'll be having all-call scramble. And then on Tuesday, we have our best jazz of the year. So a lot of stuff coming up here. Thanks to my team, uh, and uh, let's do some regular old endorsements. Susan, why don't you go first? So I've got a bunch of bunch of ones you probably haven't heard of. I'd like to endorse a video game. Um, a video game called Six Ages Ride Like the Wind, which is unlike anything I've ever played. You're, it's like you're, you're managing a barbarian clan in this world with this incredibly deep lore and mythology. And you have to deal with your gods and you have to deal with the world kind of coming to an end. Um, and it's, it's really very interesting. The story is fascinating. And it it's not, doesn't have like great graphics or anything like that, but it's just, a, it's just story, story, mm. story, story. Can you say the name again? It's called Six Ages, Ride mm. Like the Wind. All right. Um, it's fantastic. If the, you want to do one more, do it really quickly. But I've mismanaged the clock, so we'll have to go a little bit faster. All right. The other thing I'd like to endorse, Otavo Yo, a Russian folk band. I'm really into them this year. Uh, look for a Russian folk band you, on YouTube. You'll probably find them. They're really good. How do you spell it? O-T-A-V-O. I'm sorry. O-T-A-V-A-Y-O. Okay. 
We'll check it out. Jacques, what have you got for us? Uh, I am uh, endorsing the year in Prince. Um, this this year, they released um, an album called Originals that were all his original versions that he gave to of songs that he ended up giving to other artists. Uh, and so they're demos, but they're completely finished. Um, they just released this amazing box set edition of 1999 that not only remasters the album, but also has two like 30, 30 some odd unreleased tracks that are all amazing. Um, and also his uh, memoir, The Beautiful Ones, which made me cry. All right. Uh, and uh, Bill Usman, what have you got for us? Uh, there's a great drummer who died last year in October, Ginger Baker. Uh, everybody, well, most people know about his work in Cream, one of the great rock bands, but he was an amazingly eclectic musician. I would encourage people to go check out his jazz albums and his work with African musicians uh, like Fela Kuti. And his, his, his range and his, his expansiveness was, was really incredible. And incidentally, Ginger Baker was still another one of those troubled, sometimes terrible people who I would argue, you know, their artistry needs to be evaluated separately from whatever their personal foibles were. Hmm. That's a great endorsement. I have to say, uh, uh, Steve Metcalf and Jim Chaplin and I were about to go on stage last Saturday, and we were backstage just talking about stuff, and a discussion broke out about Ginger Baker. And one of them didn't like him, and one of them did, and I can't remember now who took which side. Uh, Whoever doesn't like his music is wrong. wrong, Okay. (laughs) So I'll quickly endorse, uh, first of all, a movie that you can see right now on Netflix. It's called The Two Popes. Uh, It's Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. They play respectively uh, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. Um, I I, I now want to, like, cross-check as much historical detail or, or sort of reality detail as I can because even though... Uh, I actually covered a papal conclave one time. Uh, I'm not sure how much of this is true, but the performances are tremendous. Uh, they are, it's, it would be hard to say which one is better. They're both completely amazing, and, and you'll have a lot of fun watching it. And then, you know, we live in a year of bags. One of the things that changed this year is you got to bring bags with you wherever you go shopping. Uh, and so you want, like, some good bags. You know, one of the problems with tote bags is they come, a lot of them don't have a floor to them, so they just you put stuff in them, they just fall over. So I found this company. They're actually based in Farmington, uh, but they're a national company. They're called Everything Bags Incorporated. Everything Bags Incorporated. They make great bags, and they source the ingredients responsibly and all that good stuff. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're really they're, – they're good bags have a nice – you can put it on the counter there at a Big Y and it will fall over and that's really good. Okay. So that's a pretty prosaic endorsement. Thanks very much to Susan Bigelow, to Jacques Lamar, to Bill Usman. Uh, thanks to Jonathan and Betsy too. And we'll be back on Monday. Yeah.